You're listening to Rosie on the House. Come on around back, Arizona. It's 8 o'clock. It's our outdoor living hour. It's the second Saturday of the month. That means we're talking trees. If you've got a tree question, you can jump on the line at one 767 4348 one rosie for you Text questions can be sent to 411-923, or you can email at info at rosieonthehouse.com. Generally, Jennifer is called screening, but we've got Jen Gura in filling in. While she's out, while Jennifer's out uh, with another event. And then our certified arborist is off, uh, is it his 40th anniversary? That John Eisenhower is off on his 40th wedding anniversary with Kim. So he sent in Steve Price, who's actually uh, joined us on air with John in the past. Listeners, if you may remember, Steve's the guy that uh, got. called on him for stopping outside of a school obsessing over a tree years ago. (laughs) But, hey, it got you into the arborist industry, and look where you are today. (laughs) It sure did. I love it. Our tree of the month uh, this month is the olive, Texas olive. Texas olive is uh, just a beautiful little landscape tree, and and we're starting to see it uh, planted a lot more now. This is a great tree when you're looking for something that uh, is not going to get real large uh, and you want some flowering, some color, kind of comparable a little bit to an oleander um, or even an orchid-type tree. Uh, we call it the Texas olive because it, it has uh, beautiful big white flowers on it, and then it gets these uh, olive-looking uh, seeds uh, that come off of it. And uh, some people say they're edible and some people say they're not. Um, so that kind of each person, uh, I know my dad was one of those guys that, boy, he would taste everything. And I just was waiting for him to have some kind of reaction and flop over one day. But uh, he was pretty brave. So do some more research before you start eating it. Um, but it gets about 15 feet uh, tall here, kind of slow to moderate growth. Um, it is a great plant for uh, escape, but uh, it can also take uh, a good amount of water if there's really good drainage. Another neat thing about this uh, tree is that uh, it blooms really heavy in the spring, of course, with the seeding. And oftentimes it may bloom off and on throughout the summer season, but it, it's definitely a, considered a double bloomer. And in the fall, after the summer heat and the monsoons, sometimes you get another nice flashy display of color with it. Um, another good point about it is easier to maintain because it is slower growing. Any tree that's slower growing, um, it's much easier to manage, and you can perform structural pruning on it and really maximize sustainability uh, with half, not having to be chasing it all the time. It was interesting that you said it's a, not a big tree. You generally, you don't put Texas and Little together. Correct. That's very. That's right. Now, it, with these olives, is it a messy tree? Is this one that, you know, a service that you all provide is you go out and you spray for olives before uh, they go into bloom so you don't have these big mess? Is this a messy tree like that? You know, it, it, it is a little bit of a messy tree. But what I, when I'm with clients, I tell them that, you know, if you want something pretty, if you want something that blooms a lot and is going to give you a lot of color, there's always a little bit of mess with that. So that's the opportunity or that's the cost that you get with having something really nice and colorful is a little bit of mess. 
Um, there are treatments for uh, more and more treatments for plants that are seeding or flowering that you don't want to do so much. Um, um, and some people do treat that. We can look at that for you if it's an issue, if it's right near something. Each case is going to be individual. And of course, uh, you know, it's not super healthy for the plant if you can just put it in an area where you can enjoy it. The Texas olive tree, our tree of the month, and uh, water requirements, not a thirsty tree? No, no, it's not. You know, any tree here, you know, once it gets established, uh, uh, or any tree here, I should say, it, it requires a lot of water through the summer. But after that, once it gets established, um, you know, occasional deep, deep waterings, you know, after the first uh, couple years, um, you can definitely uh, back off the water. And uh, be, being slower growing, that helps with that as too. It's also cold hardy to about 25 degrees, so which is kind of our, our low low. Unless we get a bad year, then it may get a little damage. Um, and uh, so you definitely want to back the water off in the winter uh, when it's real cold. doesn't require a lot. Um, and one more thing, it does have a real short uh, deciduous period in the middle of winter, maybe January, depending on the weather. So it may look a little peaked um, at that time, but it'll usually be fine. Now, we generally go through our talking points on things to do for trees that month, but I'm, I'm actually going to skip it because what we had was water scheduling. We haven't had enough significant rains from the monsoons to adjust any type of water adjustment for our trees. Right, right. We just came through that really hot spell, which would have been more critical, you know, May and early June to really be, you know, tripling the water on almost everything. It's almost like you can't water enough. During those months, the hot, dry months we have here, especially June, um, everything is kind of a month late here right now as well because we had the, probably the coolest May uh, since I can remember. Yeah, I've been here well over 30 years, and um, and I don't remember a more beautiful May in, in my entire lifetime here. It was fantastic. So so even on, the, on a note on that, even the turf is uh, is kind of been a month behind all year, so it's really struggling to catch up the Bermuda grass, I should say. Um, and especially people who overseeded, um, that, that lasted a lot longer. And, uh, so anyways, yeah, you definitely want to start moderating the water after those really hot months. Um, keep an eye on it though. If we get some good rains, um, that can make a big difference. What we're really seeing right now, because of all the precipitation we had last October through the fall and winter months is uh, we're seeing a lot of fungal root disease and root collar diseases, uh, especially on properties where they didn't take that into account. A lot of times in arboriculture, everything we see, it compounds, and, and you don't see the damage for several months to a year, sometimes a couple years. And we're seeing that now late summer. We're seeing a lot of trees just blow off real quick uh, due to the fungal root rot diseases, either Phytophthora or Texas root rot or even others. One triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you. If you'd like to join the conversation, we're starting with Ralph and Phoenix on a Saloral Palm. Good morning, sir. Welcome to the broadcast. Uh, yeah, I was calling about a Sago Palm. Um, those short ones, Sago. It's uh, spelled S A G O. Yes. Are you familiar with that? Kind of? Yes. Okay, I saw on te I saw on television in a nice North Phoenix neighborhood two different women. Each had a small dog, and each of their dogs died, and they said it was from the dog dogs eating the um, the food of a sago palm, which I didn't even know a sago palm uh, had fruit, but it looked like from television the fruit was the size of a 
ping pong ball. It was a reddish purple, uh, the one sago palm they had on the news. And this one woman said her dog died from it. I used to have a lawn service, and um, I have never seen a sago palm with a fruit on it. Yeah, most palms do get some, uh, you know, flowers, seeds, or fruit, and it's deep. It's it's uh, usually under the root crown, real deep under there, and you don't see even Mediterranean fan palms. Are you familiar with them on the Mediterranean fan palm since you used to have a lawn service? They also get that on there. So, yeah, it's, a lot of times it's tucked up in there and you don't see it. I have not, in my experience, I have not heard of, of that particular event um, from the sago palms, but, you know, there's anomalies all the time, and if an animal eats uh, too much of anything in a plant, just like people, you can have a reaction to it, and uh, it sounds like that's what happened here. They were sensitive to it, whatever that breed was maybe, and maybe they ate enough of it. Some dogs will eat anything, you know. You, they find all <laughs> kinds of stuff in dogs. They'll pull out shoes and and uh, whatever. So, yeah, so it's very possible. I would have to do a little research to find out, you know, how poisonous that really is. But there's so many plants that are have some, you know, uh, poisonous properties to them. Uh, but most of the time, it's never, ever a problem. Even oleanders. In my in my career, I had so many people, I don't want oleanders. It's going to kill my dogs. And, cat, and, you know, I had never in my whole career known anybody who's whose dog died from being poisoned by oleanders. But could it happen? Absolutely. If they ate enough of it, for sure. Usually, I mean, when I was trimming bushes, when I was a young man, I'd, get, I'd, I'd wipe my mouth or my sweat off and you'd taste a little bit of those oleander oils. And boy, nasty. So, But again, dogs sometimes, they're a little crazy and they'll eat anything. Yeah, Jay Harper's always said that. And people would call in, I don't want oleanders. I hear you. And he's like, you know, uh, name one animal that you've ever heard of that has died. They're, they're, they're smart enough to stop, generally exactly. speaking, and don't eat things. The amount of poison it would take to ingest exactly. from one of those plants to exactly. actually physically harm or even kill uh, an animal is, is pretty extreme. Yeah. I'm going to look that up, though. That's interesting. I haven't heard that on Sagos. So. Well, we've got uh, Myrna next on the line. Welcome to the broadcast. How may we help you this morning? Hi, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm calling about a sapote tree that um, I nearly, it's uh, four to five years old. I nearly killed it last summer by inadvertently overwatering it. So it finally dropped the, the leaves closest to the trunk, but I uh, subsequently revived it. It's happy, and it's, but it's got a big, you know, fluffy top. Um, and I'm trying to figure out how harshly, come January, how harshly can I, Trim it back. I heard a guy talking about uh, last week about some like shimley ash trees, how you could just cut it down to like just th leave three inches of the trunk and then you'd have a nice dwarf bushy type tree. So mine has three branches and it's like the main trunk is maybe three feet tall and the and then the three trunks coming up from that are maybe five feet tall and then I've got the pom pom happy top. So can I, I was just wondering, can I cut it below the, the tri-fork or should I do one fork at a time leaving the other two forks in January? Okay, I apologize. I didn't hear what kind of tree is it? Sapote, uh, a white, a Mexican white sapote fruit tree. Okay, okay. Um, you know what? It sounds like that was either, uh, was it possibly damaged in the past? How long have you had it? It's four to five years old, and it was a year ago that I nearly killed it over watering. And so, you know, a lot of the leaves on the lower part of the tree finally fell off. 
but it's really happy now. I'm, it's so top-heavy, I have to trim it. Come January, I need to trim it because it's so top-heavy and it's, you know, it's at risk sure, for storms. Sure, sure. Okay. So, yeah, here's what I would recommend. Um, it's really it's great you brought this topic up because we've really been on a, a, a talking about sustainability in the landscape. And you and, know what, Steve? <clears throat> yeah. I'll have you do that. After this, we can do a lot of things at Rosie on the House, but we can't stop the clock. Got it. Talking trees with certified arborist Stephen Price. We were talking about a Mexican sapote fruit tree. Myrna had a question on, and you have a little advice for her? Yeah, so... um it's interesting, yeah, we were just double-checking because not real common tree, but also called a Mexican apple. But the main point here is what I was going to talk about quickly is compounding stress factors is what kills plants and trees, and often people too. I mean, it's these things <laughs> add up, oh, you know, boom, 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 they get hit. So you said specifically it got very stressed out, it was overwatered, had a lot of issues, and it's going to take actually years to to really build up its immune system again, the trees, and, and to be healthy and happy. So you, I would not at all do any other pruning other than the bare minimum what you have to, and that would be to selectively prune and thin out a little bit, improve the structure of the top of the tree this whole next season, and leave as much uh, green foliage as possible, and that means good branching. So I would only prune out any poor attachments, and this is this is for most trees as well. But especially if there's been uh, stressed out already, then you really want to be careful about how much pruning you do. Period. So severe pruning would not recommend it, other than if you have a real bad attachment, a real bad crossing branch, a rubbing branch. Just try to improve the shape with some structural pruning cuts and the structure of the tree at the same time. One triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you if you'd like to talk to Steve. Before we get to our next caller online, Ryan wants to know about a Hong Kong orchid. We've got a texture that wants to know how long to wait to replant after removing a sisu tree. And if you're not familiar with the sisu trees, they are great trees. They are fast growing, uh, pretty hardy. But as soon as you cut one down, it's got this web of tree roots underneath the soil that just become a nightmare. They, they send up shoots everywhere. Um, and, and I know some arborists, I've heard it uh, different. The Arizona Community Tree Council's annual tree conference will say, you know, I won't even touch a sisu tree. I'll let someone else mess with it because I can't guarantee the removal. Um, it, it You've got to send guys back there frequently to re- continually apply chemicals and address it and try and and eradicate it it's it's a it becomes very invasive after you cut it down so the key is if you ever plant one just don't ever cut it down yeah yeah that is that's, sometimes that is the key as long as it's in a, a sustainable area if it has enough room um, but yeah once you cut those down it's a great question we get it all the time and it's going to be subjective too it's uh, you're going to probably get a lot of different answers the key is did you chemically treat the stump to try to uh, mitigate that regrowth, those sprouts that come up 
uh, because this is a real aggressive sprouter. Once it's cut down, it sends a huge stress response signal to the tree, to the root system saying, hey, oh my gosh, you know, our head's been cut off. We need more, you know, we need more uh, food and energy. So they, boom, pop up all these sprouts everywhere. And sometimes it actually takes a little while, depending on the season, to how quickly they, they, like if it's in the winter, sometimes they'll wait. And all of a sudden in the spring, you start seeing them. And then by summer, they're all over the place. So uh, quick answer, I would wait at least a season. If you chemically treated, you have to be aware that there is a good chance, you know, probably a over 50% chance that if you replant, there may be some residual chemicals still in the fibrous roots of the soil that may come in contact and may do some damage to the new plant if you chemically treated. So that's something to keep in mind. You might want to wait two seasons or so and still know that there may be, depending on how they uh, treated it, there may still be some damage. So uh, in the meantime, the, that whole next season, you want to make sure you get any sprouts out, many as you can. Uh, you can spray some, pull some, get more root system out, but stay on top of it. I'm dealing with the same thing in my yard with acacia willow salicina, which is also a very aggressive sprouter. And I even treated those, but boy, it's just like I didn't even touch them. Um, and again, sprouts everywhere. So same thing, I'm just manually going to uh, get all those out of there uh, as many as I can and stay on top of it and then uh, replant uh, probably in the fall. We appreciate the call. It's one 767 4348 I guess that was a text, 411923. We'll get to Ryan and Chandler wants to talk about Hong Kong Orchid. Welcome to the program. Hi, Ryan. Hey, good morning, gentlemen. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I had a sister tree cut down about five months ago, and I put about a half gallon of chemical down, and I actually didn't have one shoot up yet. So um, it really does work. Uh, my question is about a Hong Kong orchid. It's been in the ground about 12 years, um, really slow to get going this year, as almost every one of them in the neighborhood is. But what I found this uh, past week is where a branch had come out about uh, five, six feet up on the tree, it appears to be bleeding. It's a dark kind of liquid coming down the tree, and it sits running down about a foot down the tree. I pulled out where that branch had, it was loose, and I pulled it out. And um, now there's about a three-inch hole right there. Is there any way to treat that, or, or what's happening there? Wow, wow, yeah. It sounds like uh, you definitely have uh, possibly a fungal disease. It's probably down in the roots and has worked its way up even into the tree. Um, there is a lot of times uh, uh, sap flow and, and some flux diseases and things like that will weep that out. But with that branch, like a loose tooth in there, um, almost sounds like, was that what you're saying? It's almost like a loose tooth and you popped it out of there? You know, I put them on hold because when that music hits, we have 30 seconds okay. before the news kicks in. So we can finish talking to uh, Ryan after this. Matt's also on the line and a couple lines ringing. one 767 Welcome back to Rosie on the House. Talking trees. We were right in the middle of answering a question for Ryan on a Hong Kong orchid, and it sounds like you feel like there's a little root disease that's yeah. taken over. 
Yeah, that's I mean, that's what it sounds like. What I'm going to suggest Ryan do is really uh, kind of excavate around the root collar down at the grade, kind of pull everything back, look around and see if you see any uh, uh, oozing out of the uh, root collar. We Again, like I said earlier in the show, we've had a lot of calls and we've had a lot of uh, Phytophthora root rot disease showing up um, again. And this is common after you have such heavy uh, seasonal rains for uh, fall and winter through the winter. This happened uh, several years ago, I think it was 2011, where we had an extraordinary amount of rain through the winter months. And then come summertime, people don't adjust the water or the irrigation is still right near the, the, the root collar. And, uh, and then over time, that's just a perfect uh, hotbed for disease to, to come up. So dig around there, look around. If you see that uh, or any more oozing out of the root collar, then it's probably worked its way up through the tree. Um, it's kind of hard to treat once it gets advanced. Like if you have branches coming out like that, it's pretty advanced. But if it's a very important tree to you, I would definitely uh, call a certified arborist out, someone experienced. And by the way, whenever you call a certified arborist out, uh, don't be afraid to ask what is their experience level? How long have they been practicing arboriculture um, when you're screening to have somebody come out? So anyways, yeah, if it's an important tree, get somebody out there. We can test uh, for what particular disease it is or just let you know if it's really not, you know, something that's uh, going to be worthwhile. It might have to be removed. But check that root collar. And if it does have to be removed, a new orchid tree is probably a couple hundred bucks, not a overly big expense like it would be to Correct. replace a giraffe, which a texter in Tucson said was killed at Reed Park after they fed it oleander shavings. Oh, my God. That's a $25,000 mistake. <laughs> we were talking about uh, the poisonous plants that yes, animals won't, that was great. generally won't eat till they pass away. Well, this person in Tucson had an experience that was unfortunate. One, one more <laughs> note on everybody listening. Orchid trees are one of those trees that really you should be fertilizing regularly, you know, February, May, September, uh, with good, high-quality, complete fertilizers. Um, because they will get uh, deficiencies that make them more susceptible to disease. Matt's in Phoenix wants to talk about a ficus tree, one 4348 That's one 888 for you. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, hey. Matt. Hey, gentlemen, good morning. How you doing? Good. good. How can we help you? Good. Hey, I have a question on some ficus trees that I planted. So I planted them in a hedge. Uh, they're real small right now, maybe three feet, but they're the Benja, Benjamina variety, I believe. Okay. Um, but we also, after the fact, built a pool fairly close to the hedge, probably about three, four feet away from the last ficus in the, ro- in the row. And I've been told that they have invasive roots. And I was curious, will that pose a problem for me maybe down the road uh, when these trees start getting bigger? You know what, that's... Uh... Uh, the million-dollar question, because, you know, as arborists, we go see, we treat gigantic trees right up next to foundations and buildings and downtown and have been many, many years and no problems. Other calls we go on and their roots are all over the place. They're under, they're getting in the sewer systems and or ruining pools. So it's really kind of hit or miss, but here's the key. You said you planted a hedge. It sounds like you're going to maintain them like a hedge, which as you maintain plants in certain ways, like uh, even you could plant a lot of trees in a pot and you're going to keep it smaller while the root system doesn't need to be so big to support that tree, to sustain that tree. 
So you know you can reduce the risk of uh, or mitigate the risk of having uh, root issues along your pool. They're still going to be there, but you can really reduce them by keeping those trained more as a hedge because they will not need a big root system to support itself. Eisenhower often says, as go the roots, so go the shoots. Yes. So can yes. you control the roots by keeping the shoots trimmed down is what Yes, you can. can. To a certain extent, you know, every case is different and certain species are different. But uh, back to your point, they are, ficus are very well known to be one of the most um, invasive root systems on trees. I mean, they just get all those many pictures. You can just see them all over the place. So definitely something you want to keep an eye on. Um, If you're going to keep them as small as you can, probably not going to be an issue over time. What else is relative to that? How well your pool is built. You know, so same with walls. A lot of times we see walls cracking and falling apart and some have gigantic trees right six inches away from the wall and not a single crack, depending on how they were built. Now, what about a root barrier system? Is that something he could be proactive and precautionary that would be worth installing now before they get uh, any bigger? Great point. Yeah, you absolutely could. Here's the thing with root berries, and if you just had the pool installed, now would be the time to do it because as you dig up to put it in, you're making that soil perfectly, uh, very nice uh, uh, a medium for the roots to want to go into. You get some rains and things that's real soft, and they want to go in there. So, yes, while the pool is new and the trees are small, that would absolutely be one more thing you could put in to keep the, the roots uh from penetrating the the pool easily or in the short term for sure. Over time, you know, things are going to do what they do, but absolutely. Great point. Now, how does a root barrier system work? I mean, do you have, let's say we've got our wall. How far away from the wall does the root barrier go? I, I can't imagine you'd put it right up against the pool. How far off do you start digging? You know, again, every situation is going to be a little different, but um, you could actually put it very close to the object, the wall or the pool or whatever you want, as long as, again, you're not going to uh, affect the structure of that particular thing. Like Again, so if you put it next to a footing of a wall, you're, you're loosening up all the dirt along the footing. So, yeah. So I think it's just common sense plays in there. You want to be away just a little bit to keep uh, the dirt or soil next to, um, not disturb it too much next to the side of the wall or the footing, whatever it is. But then you just have to make the trench. You know, there's different uh, depths of root barrier. You're going to have to choose the depth you want. And if you're going to put one in, you might as well do the maximum depth of a couple feet. Uh, for sure, maybe two, three feet deep, um, and uh, and you just lay that in the trench and then backfill and compact real nice. And so what happens is the roots, they go up to that particular, they're, they're usually made out of a, a kind of a plastic PVC vinyl type material. Some even have chemicals injected in them to deter roots. So there's different products, but they hit that and they turn and go laterally along the root barrier instead of straight out. We're going to go south to southern Arizona and bring Jerry into the conversation. We've got two great radio affiliates in southern Arizona, KNST in Tucson, KGVY, and Green Valley. But no matter where you are, it's one universal number, one 767 That's one 888 for you Jerry, good morning, sir. Good morning, Jerry. Hello. Uh, you have a great program. I enjoy listening to it. I've got a question now about the, the longevity mail. of a plant. I've got a... Uh, a hedge. It consists of three pittosporum bushes uh, that screen off my front porch. 
the the screen they're they're large they're about it's about nine foot tall about six foot thick and about eighteen eighteen feet long it completely screens off the front porch they've been healthy and and really good but about about a year ago the middle one started dying I was able to bring it back but now another one's dying and maybe they're just dying of old age there's nothing I can do with them they're about seventy years old. I think you're right on point, Jerry. That they do have a lifespan, and they're gonna, you know, get just like people. They're gonna their defenses are gonna get weaker and weaker over time. It sounds like you've had some amazing plants for people who don't know. He's got the full size standard pittosporum. Um, is it the variegated or just the dark, the green? It's the dark green, and uh, and we planted them. I plant. I helped plant them, uh, and they they've been very good. They're a perfect screen. And it'll take a long time to grow them back. It will, yeah. That's amazing. It's great you got so many good years out of there. But yeah, they're they're just going to be more susceptible to decline at this time. And how did you bring the other one back? I'm curious. What what did you do? I mean, did you? Have... Uh, I just trimmed it real good. What is doing the the branches started dying and falling off and breaking. I trimmed it back real good and watered it. All it 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 lost its uh, screening because it's kind of a hole. But uh, but I was able to bring it back, and it seems to be growing all right. But it'll never get never grow up to you know to to match the other ones. And then the second one started dying. Okay. So I figured they're probably just old. Uh, what would be uh, is that still probably one of the best things to use, or what would be another good hedge to use? Yeah, no, that's a great plant. Um, gosh, there's so many options. It sounds like there's some shade there, right? Uh, yeah, it's on the north side. There's good shade, and they've been healthy as a horse for uh, for years, and just just no problem whatsoever. And I, 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 matter of fact, I don't even fertilize them. I just I keep them well mulched, about six inches of mulch on them, and they, so you kind of self fertilize with the breakdown of the plants. Yes, but, wonderful. Uh, but wonderful. They, they've been they've been perfect for seventy years. Yeah, it's and, a, uh, and now they're kicking the bucket, I guess. So. It's a great plant. I would recommend replanting with that plant if you can, if you can be patient. Um, it's a, it's just a fan. But Photinia, you know, is another good plant. Um, and uh, gosh, again, there's just uh, uh, Nandina is another neat plant. Um, Heavenly Bamboo. You know, there's some really cool screening plants. Uh, boxwood, Japanese boxwood is another great plant. You'll see that. Privet is another great plant. Um, that you see in those similar, very similar type of plants uh, that you could put in there. But since you had such success there, and it sounds like it really is just old age, especially since you were able to bring it back, I don't think it's any kind of root diseases or anything, although those can be intermittent as well. The best thing you could do is start fertilizing. I mean, they're old, you know, start fertilizing. Uh, I would recommend some aerification, you know, get some holes uh, all around the plants, uh, whether, you know, use whatever, you know where the irrigation is, you've been there. But uh, drill some holes, open them up, um, and get and let that organic material. You can even push that organic material back deeper down into the soil, and uh, and start a fertilizing program. A good fertilizing program uh, is definitely going to help them at this point. And it sounds like he uses it for a privacy screen, depending on the space yes. he has. Could he plant, let's say, uh, two feet in the the new plants and not cut the old ones down until it, these. N- new have matured a little bit so you're not going from a privacy screen to you know a a five gallon shrub again 
two and three heads is better. That's a great point. That's awesome. And if you have the space, I would definitely do that. We're going to stay in Tucson and bring Raymond into the conversation. Good morning, sir. How may we help you? Hi, guys. Um, I have, uh, we bought a house that has some mature citrus trees on it. We got grapefruit, oranges, and a tangerine tree. Um, not sure when I should be or how I should be trimming them um, because they're pretty um, thick. And the other question is on the tangerine trees, some of the leaves are curling back in on themselves. I don't know if I'm underwatering it, overwatering it, if it needs fertilizer, just not sure what to do. Well, that's a great question. And uh, on our Talking Tree Points for August, this is one of the times – Integrity Tree Service recommends to fertilize. A lot of people use Valentine's Day, Labor Day, and Memorial Day as key points. But y'all actually like to fertilize citrus four times a year. Uh, and we'll, we'll have a little citrus dialogue here right after this. Are you as big an Eric Clapton nut as John is? Or no, me? No, but I like Eric Clapton. I know, but I like Eric Clapton. Why is he playing Eric Clapton? Oh, he always does for John to wrap up his talking tree hours. That's his guitar hero. We had uh, Ray on the line who wanted to know about citrus, and he's got some tangerines that are curling, and what what to fertilize, when to fertilize. It sounds like a pretty mature uh, orchard he's got on a home he just moved into. So let's walk him through a little citrus education here in about, uh, can you do it all in three minutes? Is that enough time for you? I can, (laughs) yeah, let's get it done. So yeah, citrus are are, uh, awesome in our area. I just, uh, just a fantastic tree. But what what a lot of people don't realize is they do take maintenance and it's a great question. We recommend pruning, to answer your first question, between February 15th and March 15th, if at all possible. You can get in there and clean out. Mainly what you want to do is clean out as much any dead wood, uh, improve the branch structure. A lot of times they'll get some crossing branches in there or rubbing branches real bad, competing branches. And that's kind of really what you just want to really focus on the structure. Don't over prune the, the canopy or the crown if you want nice fruit underneath. And don't lift them up too much. The lower the, the crown or the canopy is hanging down, uh, protects all that bark and makes the tree really or helps the tree to be as healthy as possible. Uh, just like Romy said here, uh, we do recommend four fertilizers. And, and again, what a lot of people don't realize is there's a specific amount of fertilizer that, that citrus, they know, uh, rule of thumb, need throughout the year. And the reason why you fertilize three or four times a year is you take that full amount for the annual uh, requirements and you spread it out into these small feedings throughout the year. Um, So it's not very stressful on the tree and it keeps it going through that growing season. And you start tapering off as it gets later in the season because, you know, if we have nice weather and you get a lot of new growth and then boom, we get a hard frost. It's really stressful for the tree. All that new growth is the first thing that gets frozen off. (laughs) Exactly. So you want to make sure, I don't know if you have any history of the uh, prior maintenance, but I would definitely get on a program if you need help with that. Again, you could call Integrity Saver Tree or or another arborist and get them out there and get you on a program. If you like to do it yourself, I would recommend that you do the research. There's some new 
uh, uh, fertilizer requirements are fairly new in the last several years. U of A put out a great document. You can look it right up on the U of A uh, citrus fertilizer requirements because what a lot of people don't know either is different citrus trees actually need different amounts of fertilizer. A lemon is, is different sometimes than an orange or a grapefruit, the amount it needs for the year, and then you spread that out. So look that up. It's a great, it's easy to use if you're going to do it yourself and, uh, and definitely get on that program. One more thing is you definitely want to make sure you aerify occasionally for your citrus trees, depending on where you're at, the hard clay soil. You want to open up the soil. A lot old school, they would say till it up, you know, or open up that crust. So either way, aerify or, or cultivate, you know, and till up that dirt occasionally, maybe once a year around underneath the uh, uh, root crown. And when the leaves are curling, is that overwatering or underwatering? You know, that's a great, I forgot to answer that. It could be either one. So if the, if the trees are, if the leaves are moist and supple, and they're curling, you could be overwatering a little bit, so a little bit of oxygen deprivation there, um, or possibly uh, diluting, you know, what fertilizers are in the soil. So if they're soft and curly, probably overwatering. If they're dry and curly, they probably don't have enough water. Also, thrips and other uh, pests can cause that leaf curling as well. Hang tight, Ryan. We'll see uh, if we can help you off air if you have any further questions. But I'm going to Cut you off right there because we got a couple talking points to hit. We're talking with Steve Price, certified arborist of Integrity Trade, Integrity Save a Tree. Or I know John's teaching at Shade. Are you attending Shade? I am attending Shade. A bunch of us are attending Shade. It's a great conference for people who are really passionate, especially professionals or just avid home gardeners that want to learn a lot more. There's a bunch of tracks and different speaking events. Uh, John, our owner and founder, is amazing. He's been teaching around the valley for many, many years, and he's uh, teaching uh, on sustainable pruning uh, at the uh, Shade Conference. Uh, So he's going to be there. Uh, You can check that out at azna.org, azna.org, and uh, check out what's going on and look at the... uh, uh, you know, the events that are going on during that um, and sign up there if you're, that's something you're interested in. The day after on the 31st, John is also teaching a sustainable pruning class at the Desert Botanical Gardens. He's been teaching there for many, many years. And again, if you're really into that, I would highly recommend that you uh, get a hold of the Arizona, uh, the Desert Botanical Gardens and sign up for that class. You can go on that website. You can get the list of uh, schedule of events thank and you. Uh, the classes and everything going on. Yes. And Shade Stands for Southwest Horticultural Annual Day of Education. It is primarily for people that are in the industry to keep your certified arborist uh, title. You've got certain ongoing education requirements you have to do. Uh, the ALCA, uh, landscape professionals and landscape architects all require additional training. And this Shade Conference serves for a lot of that training. But they've got four categories, pest management and plant health, design for rain, tree health, and water management. You can just scroll through. People all over the state attend this event. Uh, A lot of uh, people come up from Tucson. Savano Nursery always has a big display in the yes. outdoor marketplace and brings up trees. Uh, Arizona pistachio. I get yes. all my Love the all my red push yep. pistachios yep. from Bernie when he shows up, and he always brings a, a half dozen that he sells. And I get Bernie, Bernie. I've got three more I want to get from him. Nice, <laughs> nice. It is open to the public too, though. So again, but for, it is open to the yep. public. Yes, yep. and it, I think it's what hundred bucks. I, I yeah, don't know I, I, I don't know. I'd have to top. look it up. But yeah, it's not, it's not that much. If you're really for, into it, it's worth it. All right. Yeah. Individual fee, 150 And for the amount okay. of education you get, it's worth 10 times that. Absolutely. iTreeService.com. If you've got a question for 
Stephen or you need a certified arborist in the Maricopa County area and uh, isa.org for arborists all over the state and country. 